You see, fearing the created over the creator is the most fundamental foundational principle of idolatry that there is. Now, we live in a culture of fear, don't we? I mean, if it's not, uh, you know, if we don't bail out Wall Street today, the whole thing's going to come down. If we, if we don't overhaul the, 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 the health care system, everything's going to come crashing down. Uh, if you don't go to the grocery store and buy stuff, there's a storm coming. We know it's coming. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be bad. If you don't use this kind of deodorant, you're going to have streaks on your shirt and nobody will like you. you know, and we could go on and on. Uh, Sean and I have a little game that we play when we watch TV. Every commercial that pops up, we see, what does this have to do with fear? And nearly 90% of them are fear-based. That if you don't have this, or you don't do this, something bad is going to happen to you. For the medications that they put on there, the list of side effects is what I, I mean, really? I, I'll live with the acne if it's, you know, everything else is going to go bad in my life. Now, we live in a culture of fear. Uh, but in all honesty, the world is getting more and more of a thing to be feared. Okay? Now, just a little context of what we've been going through. We went through Psalm 23, where it starts out and says, The Lord is my, I shall not want. I shall not want. For, it doesn't really qualify that, does it? It just says, I don't have any other want in my life but that, the Lord is my shepherd. We went through chapter 24 of the Psalms, and it, it talked about only seeking the Lord, and that the only way that we can seek the Lord is through the work of Jesus Christ. We talked about it. Psalm 25 went through, don't be ashamed. When you come before the Lord, you don't want to be ashamed, and the way that you do that is look back to Psalm 23 and 24. We got to last week, Psalm 26, and I will not backslide. And then we come to here, and he, he nails it all together with this fear. And in the New American Standard, it says this of the heading, a psalm of fearless trust in God. Is that your life? Is it? L let me give you a little background. Let's look at some verses. Psalm 111.10. Let's bring that up. Let's read it together. Go. fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What's wisdom? Wisdom is knowing how to use your knowledge. But let's go to the next one. This is Proverbs 1, 7. Go. Let's keep going. Let's go to the next one. Let's go to 15. Let's go next one. Here we go. Go. I, I wanted to end with this one. We could go on. There's lots more that says that fearing the Lord is the beginning of a successful life. Um, this says the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. And before that, before honor comes what? 
I mean, the, the understanding here of understanding who you are and who I am and understanding who God is, that's, how can you not fear him when you understand who he is? Now, how do you come to know who he is? Through his word. Do you realize why it is such a battle every day in your own personal life to get into this word? Satan wants to do everything he can to keep you out of this word. The world wants to keep you out of here with everything that they are. But here's the kicker. Your own flesh wants to keep you out of here because it wants to do what it wants to do. I love the video that we started with today. It's not that you repented once. It's that each day you repent. It's not that you surrender to the Lord once. It's an ongoing surrender of my life. So, you say, David begins this whole psalm by stating that the Lord, Yahweh, is his what? Light and salvation. This is good things here because it tells me that he is my direction and he is the destination. You say, what are you talking about, Brother Dan? See, we, we think of salvation as a point in time rather than a journey. Salvation is a journey. It's not something that happened once. It's something that started once and has ongoing consequence in my life. And if he's my light, he's the one that gives me the next step to take. It reminds me of Psalm 119 where he says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path and where is that light leading the light is leading to salvation it's not that you're already saved it's the fact that if you'll follow him and obey him what in the end salvation will come how do you know if you're saved every day following that light okay now there's there's a great picture from the old testament this psalm gives us a pattern for life a pattern not to live in fear of this world around us. But it can never happen if you've never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, Brother Dan, we all know this. Well, you're going to hear it again. Each one of us were born how? Sinful. 100% completely separated from a holy God. But in his love, God demonstrated that he loved us, didn't he? How did he do it? By sending his son. Right? We're going to talk about that in a little bit more in a, in a second. But Jesus came, lived a perfect life. He died. Did he deserve to die? No. Uh, then he was buried. It was real death. Um, and what's the result of sin? Death. Did he have power over sin and death? He did. Now, do you? No. Only as you surrender your life to God's plan can you have victory. Can you have victory over sin in your daily life and ultimately over the effects of sin, which is death? That's it. Now, if that's never happened in your life, it can today, but only as you come in humility. God can never exalt you to the place of a son of God until you have humbled yourself to realize who you really are. So, if you're saved here, if you're not saved, I would tell you to do what? get saved because today is the day of salvation right if, you, if you're here and you say i am a christian but every day i i sit in, sit in my barca lounger with my remote control and my popcorn and i'm scared to death of everything i see on the tv 
Well, first thing I would tell you is good you're here today and you've turned that little sucker off. Okay? The little fear box, okay, is off and you're here. So let's hear from God. And he's going to give us three simple things that we can do to make our lives free from fear of the world to trust in the Lord. You ready? Is this side ready? Kyle, you ready? Okay. Is everybody over here ready? Zach, you ready? Okay. What is something on your face, boy? Okay, good. Okay, here we go. Now, number one, let's bring it up. Number one, declare what you know. Do you know anything about God? You know, the whole eternal life is what? Knowing God. So, do you know anything about Him? And what you do know about Him, how about claim it? That's how He starts this whole psalm. Um, the Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? Is that a rhetorical question? Yes, because you should already know the answer. He answered it before he asked it. He says, the Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Um, this week, we were about to go to bed, and Sean said, did you lock the door? And I said, of course. She said, well, you didn't last night. You know, that whole thing. And So then she looked at me. She goes, why do we lock doors? <laughs> and I said, I think it's because we don't like somebody sneaking up in the dark and surprising us. If they're going to break in our house, they're going to have to break in, and they're going to have to make noise, and I'm going to know they're coming. And, and that's what he says here. The Lord is the light. He's the salvation. Who am I going to be afraid of the dark? I come to the church usually here about 5.15 on Sunday morning, and it's usually dark. And I never had a fear of it until one day I came up here and three of Mary Esther's dogs were in this bush over here. And I came up to the door. And as soon as I touched the door, them little animals came out of the bush and liked to scared me to death. Now I have a gun uh, that I will take. No, I won't. But now every time I come to the church in the morning, I'm like, what do I know about the Lord? What do you know about the Lord? Notice that he says my defense is the lord my deliverance is in the lord alone this verse two what's the first word notice it doesn't say if it says when there's trouble going to come to you it's not if it's going to come to you it's coming okay this world is full of it and it's coming so you have better make a decision who you're dependent on before it happens because in the middle of it it's too late to start building your foundation when the storm comes. So, he says two things. Fear God over man. You agree with that? We would all say yes. He says here, verse 3, Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, I, I'm going to be confident. This is really easy to say. Um, more difficult to do. Proverbs 18.10, I love this. It says this. Let's bring it up. Read it out loud. Go. Now, we sing that song. The name of the Lord is a strong town. Now, picture this, what it's saying. It says, now, it, it, there's a, the Lord is over here. He's a strong tower, right? And you're over there doing something in life, and it gets a lot, a lot of hand, and what do you do? You run to it, and the door's open, and boom, then the bolt's shut, and you're in. Maybe it's a better 
way to look at it that it's like the traveler's umbrella. You know, it just follows you around, right? Uh, but here's the second point. Fear God over man, but seek God's favor over man. Look what he says. He says, there's one thing, verse 4, that I've asked for that I shall seek. It's that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's fellowship with him. There's one thing I want in life, and that's to be right with God. And to commune with him. This is really the reason why we were created. There's an interesting thing here that, that if, we, if we just go quickly, we're going to miss. The end of verse 4 says, and to meditate where? Here's the interesting thing. The temple was never built while David was alive. This is one of the greatest aspects that we miss about David's life. If we go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and let's bring that, that scripture verse up. Um, it says this, Now it came about when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him what? Rest from all his enemies. That the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the Lord, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. What's he saying? How come I'm living better than God? You think that's a pretty good question, right? I mean, they'd had the tabernacle because they were wandering in the wilderness, right? But now we're hundreds of years past that, and God's still in the tent. David says, I want to make a permanent place where I can come worship you. And this is what God says. I'm going to read this to you from chapter 7. This is 13. It's not going to be up before you. It says this. He shall build a house. He's talking about verse 12 says, When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up your descendants after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish David's kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, David had a desire to build a temple for God. God said, no, your son Solomon's going to build it. But he gave credit to David for it because it was the desire of his heart. The desire of his heart was that God was more important than he there's this interesting play here he says i have i have and then he goes down to verse five and talks about what god's going to do he has concealed me he will hide me he will lift me i will what i'm going to offer shouts of joy and what's the last part of verse six say i think there's a point here that we should understand and and i think this plays out in church every week brother jason comes up here and he leads us in what songs okay sing we're singing this isn't what we do to fill up the time right this is praise to god now how many of you would raise your hand and say honestly some people sing better than other people now if you look around 
during worship time, you will see some people actively participating, and then you will see other people, what? Not. Why? Okay, now, I'm glad you said that. Some people cannot sing, which if you can talk, you can sing, so that's a lie. It's a lie. Is it not? It's a lie. You can sing. You can open your mouth and noise comes out. Now, the only reason we don't want noise to come out is because we're afraid that the person next to us, what? May not think that I sing well, and so therefore it's fear of who? So I'm going to shut my mouth from singing praises to a holy God just because. Now, we could go a lot of different levels. This is just one. He says, I don't care what it sounds like. David looked like an idiot on more than one occasion because he was praising the Lord openly. Now, what I want to ask you is, when's the last time you looked like an idiot because of praising the Lord? I mean, it happens to me quite frequently in my car when I'm just praising the Lord. And somebody looks at me like, where is God <laughs> Right? Are you willing? That, see, that means if your focus in the worship service is on the person next to you, guess who it's not on? So you're not declaring what you know. You're declaring your fear. And so I'll keep quiet. I'm just saying. Hudson Taylor wrote this. You know the missionaries, Inland China missions? He wrote this. Get this. It does not matter how great the pressure is in your life. He says, what matters is where the pressure lies. Whether it comes between God and you, or whether it presses you nearer to Him. And that's life right there. Each circumstance of your life is either going to pull you further from God or push you closer to Him. And it's really focused on the choice that you make. What do you know about God? Do you know anything about God? Yes? Or are you asleep right now? Do you know anything about Him? Claim it. Say, God, I know this about you. I know that you're going to take care of my eternity, and if you can take care of my eternity... I think you can take care of right now. I'm going to fear you. I'm going to seek your way. And if we saw this in 2 Corinthians this week, didn't we? If I look like a fool, I'm going to look like a fool for your sakes because I want to be an example of love for the Lord. What don't you know about God? You say, well, there's so many things I don't know about God. Well, guess where you learn it? Okay, so first, you're not going to live in fear of people and the world around you. Number one, you've got to know something about God, and you've got to claim it. This is the name it, claim it gospel right here. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Now, number two. Now we get into the interesting part. Number two, express what you need. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I have needs? How many of you would like to stand up and tell us what those, know, uh, what those needs are, right? Uh, look at what the Bible says. Verse 10 is really the linchpin of this. While I'm on earth, who meets my needs? I, I grew up in my parents' house, and they did what? 
they took care of my needs. Now, this is an interesting point here. David's parents didn't do him wrong. He's saying they died. Okay? At one point, your parents are going to die. My dad, I'll never forget, my grandfather lived to be 94. And when he died, my dad and his relationship was always kind of up and down, you know, they were always either hollering at each other or really listening to each other. It was just kind of like my dad and me. And when he died, I remember dad and I walking through the woods and him saying, I'm, I'm really going to miss your grandfather because when really times got really difficult, we would just go and talk through it. Have you done that? Maybe you have that type of relationship with your parents. Maybe your parents have just all out forsaken you. But he's saying here, it doesn't matter. There is one need that you have, and that's for a parent, a father. Why do you think that the whole world is attacking the relationship of father to son? There is a reason why that's under attack. It's because the way I know about the heavenly father is generally through my earthly father relationship. That's why it's so under attack today. My one need is a heavenly father now I say this often and we see this in this psalm he goes through in uh, verses uh, 7 uh, through 9 hear me be gracious to me do not hide do not turn do not abandon teach me verse 11 your ways do not deliver me over and I tried to sum this up in, in this way every parent needs to do two things for their child okay so if you're a new parent here or an old parent here this is listen to me your child needs two things from you number one they need to know that you are going to love them no matter what they do no matter what it's not performance based i'm not going to love you just as long as you do what i want you to do but i'm going to unconditionally love you that's what he's saying here in verses 11 and, and 12, don't deliver me over. Verse 9, don't abandon me. Don't turn from me. Don't leave me when I'm in a lurch. Your kids need that. But here's the second part that I feel like more parents miss. They need boundaries that aren't going to move. That when I step out, God's going to come in and he's always going to deal with me the same. His standard is always the the same it's what's so important about you being consistent with your children right because then you're teaching them what a heavenly father does you see if if you are a permissive parent and you tell your kids one thing one day and another thing another day that's what they, they're going to think god's that way is he good parents love their children no matter what they've done romans 5 8 says this what read it go Has he given us boundaries that aren't going to change? Let's bring up Hebrews. Here we go. Go. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. How many sons has God disciplined? All of them. 
What do you need? Let's get back to the original point. Ask God what you need. And we have all this society of needs, right? This whole uh, psychiatry-based needs. You know, we've, we've got books, his needs, her needs, and all this. There's a Greek word for it. It's baloney. You have one need. That's a heavenly father to have a relationship with him. Everything else is just frosting. But we don't believe that, do we? Every good sermon has to have a Charles Haddon Spurgeon quote. Here's this one. I'm working toward a good sermon. It's not there yet. A couple years it will. These earthly relations, he's, he writes, will be the last to desert me. He's talking about his parents. He says, but if the milk of human kindness should dry up even from their breasts, there is a father who never forgets. He says, some of the greatest saints have been cast out by their family. Do you realize that if you stand up for the Lord, it may cost you relationship and family? But it's going to lead you to the one family relationship that you need, and that's with your heavenly father. What I need is a father who's going to love me no matter what I do going to be have boundaries that are never going to change i have that do you through the work of jesus christ he has fulfilled every aspect of that the question is do you know him there's a difference between your felt needs and your true needs so we got one what's one state what you know claim it number two express what you need boldly Right? I need one thing. That's a relationship with you, God. That is eternal life. It's not streets of gold. It's not pearly gates. It's knowing Him. Now, here's the kicker. Here's where it gets bad. Because I think we'd all agree so far. Number three. Wait and trust God's strength. This is where the proof of the pudding comes in. Right? Look at your Bible with me. Verse 13. I would have despaired. We could go back to chapter 26. I would have backslidden. I would have, there was a lot of bad things happen in my life. If I had not believed, that's past tense, right? If I had not believed what? When? That I would see the goodness of the Lord when I get to heaven? No. Now. Now, here, there's an interesting fact here, and this is how Satan works. Don't miss this. I'm going to jump up and down, wake you up, think, what is the weirdo doing? Okay, so you can hear this. Satan, his number one tool is to get you to think that God is not good. He's holding out on you, and the things that he's commanded you to do are going to stop you from having a good time. And when trials come in your life, there's a tendency for us to think that just because this is happening to me, and it doesn't feel good at the time to me, that God's overall plan is evil. The problem is, we're looking through a peephole. He sees the whole thing. 
we know Romans 8, 28, right? And we know that all things work together for good. Who's good? Your good or his good? His good. Which, if I'm a Christian, his good is my good. But waiting on the Lord. It's not really something that I like. Do you? David knew a little bit about this, didn't he? I mean, we're, we're going into 1 Samuel right now in our quiet time. You're going to read. You're going to read times where David stepped out on his own, did not wait for the Lord, and hundreds of priests got killed one time. Another time he went to live with the Philistines because he'd, he'd given up on God's plan of him becoming king and almost lost his life, almost lost the life of all of his, followers, his soldiers and their families. And finally he comes back and he says, I'm learning there's one thing that when I step out on my own, bad things happen. When I wait for God, he seems to work it all out. And he said the amazing thing is that even in the middle of me doing my own thing, if I'll just stop, humble myself, God comes in. Now he said, well, I ain't, I ain't seen none of the goodness of the Lord. Are you serious? Do this with me. Everybody, everybody, watch me. Hold it. Let it out. Come on, do it. Don't. I'm not up here for fun. Go. What did you do to earn that? How, how about everything in your life? I mean, isn't it interesting that one thing goes bad and God ain't good? You see, and that's why we go, need to go back to number one point and number two point. So the one thing we know is that God is good. That his plan is good, and I'm going to trust in his plan over what the circumstances of this world look like. Secondly, I am going to state that I don't need my family. If God chooses to take them, that's his business, not mine. If I don't need my job, if he wants to put me homeless, he must have a reason for it. I don't need food. If he wants me to starve to death, then I guess that's going to be the testimony that he's going to use. I don't need my health. If he wants me to die a slow and painful death, that's his business, not mine. This should radically change your prayer life. Now, instead of, God, take this blah, blah, blah away from me, instead of that, God, what are you trying to show me about yourself through this? But we've largely bought into the fact that of the other health and wealth gospel, right? The other prosperity gospel that God wanting to make your life prosperous here for you instead of prosperous for him. Isaiah chapter 40. Oh, you like this one, don't you? Listen, you know this verse. I'm going to read it, so I'm going to make you read it. It says, though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly. That's as we get older. This, ha this happens. Burrow, we were talking about this this morning, weren't we? Right? This happens. As cramps come, this is, it, we can say of a truth, this is right. I was hammering some boards this week, and my leg cramped up so bad that I could not get up. And I thought, I guess I'll just stay here until I cannot get up. And he goes, that's, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk. Now, let, you say, well, that's Old Testament. Let's go to New Testament, Philippians 4, 13. I can do 
this is, this is an interesting fact, and I, I'm closing. I'm, wind, I'm landing the plane right now, okay? Listen to this. I hear, I hear you every Sunday morning, especially you early folks, okay? About how tired you are, okay? You know, the NASCAR race went late last night. We're tired, and that's why I can't stay awake in the service. Let me, let me tell you something about me. I'll just admit it to you. I rarely sleep more than an hour on Saturday night. Rarely. I, I, I rarely do. There's just so much on my heart usually through the whole week of studying God's Word that I just can't sleep. And you know what? I've gotten up tired before, but I've never gotten here and been tired. Never. Why? Because I'm expecting something to happen here. And are you? And I'm willing to wait on the Lord until it happens. Now, believe you me, pastors have trouble with this. We'd like to tuck tail and run when things get bad. And a lot of times we do. But guess what? What we're really running from is knowing God. Because as things don't happen on my timetable and as I wait for Him, not only does life work out, but I also get to know Him. Look what it says. It says this. It says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your priorities take courage. <laughs> you know, yes, wait for the Lord. I, I heard this song when I got up this morning. I had to add this in because as soon as I got in the car at 5 o'clock this morning, I heard this song. It's from, many of you heard it from the, the Love Dare fireproof movie. It says, it's by John Waller. He says, I'm waiting. I'm waiting on you, Lord, and I'm hopeful. I'm waiting on you, Lord, though it's painful. But patiently, he says, I'll wait. I'll move ahead, bold and confident, taking every step in obedience while I'm waiting. I will serve you while I'm waiting. I will worship while I'm waiting. I will not faint. I'll be running the race even while I wait. And let's connect this with last week. We said that there was the general will of God and the specific will of God. And this means that I'm going to be busy busying myself with doing the general will of God while I'm waiting for him to reveal the specifics. I am going to be seeking his direction through his word and prayer. I'm going to be living a life of obedience and worship together, corporately and individually. And then when he shows me what to do, I'm on it. Is that what your life looks like? If it doesn't, let me tell you, you're never going to be fulfilled And you can chase every little whim of the world, and it will not satisfy. All you'll do is live in fear. If it's not the fear that when you die, someone else will get all your stuff. That land that you fought for all your life, your kids will sell it. And they will not care. That's family land, I've heard that all. Okay. Is there any escaping fear? There is. Fear's going to come in your life. It's really how you deal with it. Okay? If you deal with the fear that God, I'm going to fear you alone, and I'm going to be obedient to you. That's living a life of faith. Okay, but if I'm, if I'm going to get all caught up with what other people think about me, well, first of all, I'm not going to sing. 
She's like, I've noticed, Brother Dan, that you sing so loud. And I got a lot to sing about. God has totally changed my life. And I don't care how bad it sounds to you. I am not going to keep my mouth shut. I had some pastors ask me, you sing in the choir? What, you ain't got enough people in your choir? You got to sing in that too? No, I get to sing in the choir. Bless God. What prepares me to preach better than singing? Okay. Psalm 56. I'm I'm done. 56, 3 and 4. Oh, these are good verses. When I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can mere This has helped me so much as a pastor that I'm not here to serve you. I'm not here to please you. Because guess what? You're Baptist folks. Some of you are saved. Some of you aren't. And there ain't no pleasing you. Okay? But I am a Baptist and a Christian also. And half the time, there ain't no pleasing me. So guess what? If we'll all focus up and say, God, we're trying to please you. I'm going to close. I'm going to we're going to go in the invitation y'all come and get get in place while I'm reading this poem we're going to go right into it after this it's called I know not but God knows I don't usually read poetry because most of you will sleep through it but here it is I know not but God knows oh how blessed rest from fear all my unfolding days to him are plain and clear each anxious puzzled why from doubt or dread that grows, finds answer in this thought. I know not, but he knows. I cannot, but God can. Oh, balm of all my care, the burden that I drop, his hand will lift and bear. Though eagles' pinions tire, I walk where once I ran. This is my strength to know. I cannot, he can. I see not, but God sees. Oh, all-sufficient light. My dark and hidden way to him is always bright. My strained and peering eyes may close in restful ease, and I in peace may sleep, because I see not, but he sees. You want to turn your frown upside down? Don't live your life in fear of anyone except God. He is the one who can make your way prosperous. He is the one that can make it straight. Would you bow your head? Father God, as we look at your word, it's so detailed at who you are.